around the world. The Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Hello, friends. Pastor David Langford here today. We'd like to welcome you to this edition of The Voice of Evangelism International Ministries. Today is Monday, April the 26th. 2021. We welcome each of you today to this edition of The Voice of Evangelism. For quite some time, two and a half months or so, we've been teaching on preparing for the darkness, preparing for the darkness. That might seem, that might appear to be negative, gloomy, uh, somewhat of a purveyor of doom, but that's not factual, neither accurate. Once the darkness begins to permeate and to pervade us, the light of Christ will illuminate. As I said last week, everyone wants to say this is the end. The end is coming, but we're not there yet. But we are certainly Without any doubt, without any reservation, we are getting there. We are getting there. And, you know, I was watching a video yesterday. I was really surprised. You know, we all live in our circle, our sphere of influence, our sphere wherein we hear, we listen to people. And I watched a video from a gentleman I had never heard of in my life. And I was astounded at the many people who had prophesied Trump would get two terms. Everyone this man showed, I'd never heard of them. I didn't know they existed. But they were all deemed prophets, whatever. And, of course, those prophecies terribly failed. And again, it gave me pause to think and to ponder my own walk with God. I'm concerned when Jesus said in Matthew 24, 11, and many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And this gentleman also pointed out these people have 200,000 subscribers tens of thousands of thumbs up, thumbs down, and you can just listen to them. There's no anointing. There's no touch of God. There's no Holy Ghost. It's just flamboyant, frivolous purveyors of things that are just not true. And again, it gave me pause to think about those that I know and am aware of. And then here's a guy that brings on a host of other prophets that I've never heard of. And I thought, my God, many false prophets are rising and deceiving many. That should give all of us concern. 
Remember, when I taught Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, the greatest tool of Satan would be deception. Matthew 24, 4, take heed that no man deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Every one of these people, both men and women, would tell you Jesus is Christ. Yet, their prophecies were erroneous. And then there are those who are saying, you know, now Trump will come back in 2024. I've come to conclude all of this without a doubt is in the hands of God. But I want to make sure of one thing. I walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with him. As I was in prayer this morning, I was thanking him that he is the biggest part of my life. Christ is the biggest, largest, most voluminous part of my life. As Paul the Apostle well said, in him we live and move and have our being. He is without a doubt. Christ without a doubt is truly the biggest part of our lives if we so allow him to be that. Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and have our being or our mere existence. I pray today that Christ is the biggest part of your life. If you were to divide your life up, what is the biggest part of your life? What evolves around the biggest part of your life? What is the biggest part of your life? Your job, your spouse, your children? Or is Christ truly the biggest part of your life? He certainly must be, and we must pursue him vehemently. We are enlarging our outreach. Uh, by the time you hear this, we may be on the Word Network. The Word Network. That is a Christian television network, and uh, the Lord has opened up a very gracious door for us. I don't know the exact date we will start, but we'll be on the Word Network Tuesday nights at 11.30 p.m. and early Saturday mornings at 2 a.m. Now, this will suffer us to be into 100 million households here in America, Comcast, Spectrum, Time Warner, all of these cable networks. I'll get you the, the, the station numbers uh, in the very, very near future. But we've been praying 
We've been pursuing God to help us win more souls here in the time of the end. And of course, to bring a balanced dietary program of God's word through the media of television. And so we, we feel like God is helping us without a doubt, leading us. And what we do, we do for the kingdom and for the glory of God. We have no agenda. That's why I'm grateful and thankful that God nurtured me. I don't have to suck an enormous amount of funds out of the ministry for me. I'm able to devote the majority of the funds that come to this ministry go in, back into ministry. Uh, God helped me to be a wise steward in my early years, and I tried to seek God and position me. And you know when you do that, and we've said this many times, it keeps us with such vast liberty in our lives because we're not here begging for money. We'll not do that. Either God will supply the need or he will not. It's just that simple. I don't see Christ ever pleading and begging and having share and praise and Paul the Apostle doing all of those things. They had no way to do that. But God met the need. And what's amazing is that they evangelized their known world at that time. And, of course, that's one of the Bible prophecies. The gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. And regrettably, what's being preached for the most part is, is not the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that leads men to repentance. That's not the message today, needless to say. The message is about money and um that's, that's got to anger God that people take his name in vain. That's what that means. They take God's name in vain. They become purveyors of whatever they want to purvey, and they use the power of his name to manipulate people. Listen, you don't have to have a packet of somebody's water to be touched by God. I believe in prayer claws. It's scriptural. It is scriptural. They took handkerchiefs. They placed them upon the apostles' body. They anointed them. I believe in that. But selling water and shenanigans like that is not the gospel of Christ. And um, obviously, so many people don't have a fear and reverence of God that they do these silly things. These are, these are antics. These are, these are, this is chicanery. This is trickery. This is, this is not God. And because we are so removed from the Word of God, the people just simply fail to see that they're being manipulated by hirelings. And uh, that's something that no man should ever want to be, yet, for the most part, that's what's happened to them. Uh, I did read a very asinine article the other day that God didn't need pastors or preachers or teachers. Uh, that's the most asinine thing I've ever heard. And his point was the veil was rent in the temple. And that's right. You don't have to go through a pastor, through a priest, through clergy to get saved. But God gave gifts unto men. And those gifts are apostles, prophets, 
evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, I know it's been abused terribly, terribly abused, but God gave those to the church, the body, Ephesians 4, 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. I elaborated profusely last Tuesday when we closed on knowing the knowledge of the Son of God. I've devoted my life to ministry, prayer, fasting, Bible reading. The average layman is not afforded that opportunity. He has to work a job. A mother must be a homekeeper, clothe, bathe the children, cook, etc. The husband's out working. They don't have the time to spend, like I do some days, six, seven, eight, nine hours at one sitting in the Bible, just immersing myself in the Scriptures. Therefore, you glean and you learn. And then all the minister does is convey those spiritual truths to the listener. Now, when Jesus said in John 16, 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, what that fundamentally is telling us If you hear me say something or you hear somebody else say something that is not scripturally accurate, then the Holy Spirit will say that's that's not right. That's you hear things said, I hear things say, I still hear things said that are not scriptural. And I know that because of two things, the spirit of truth and the word of God. The Holy Ghost And God's word confirms to me what they're saying is erroneous and fallacious. It is a mendacity. It is not truth. It is not factual. It's just not truth. And, of course, one of those is the fallacy of the pre-tribulation rapture. I'm not harping on that to castigate or put anyone down who still believes that. But we are supposed to search the Scriptures. Jesus told us that in John 5, 39. He said, search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When you are a studious Bible student, and you navigate through the scriptures, God will show you truth. And the nominal church today does not teach, neither do they preach the word of God. There's no such thing hardly anymore as Bible study. When I was in the church of God, before I left, I became a mere thorn in their flesh because I was like a Protestant in a Catholic denomination per se. But I would make statements, and I would say the general assemblies were ordained, put together for one purpose only, and that was to study and search the Scriptures. 
And I said, I've been coming here since 1980. We never talk about the Bible. We talk about programs, policies, and procedures. But we never talk about God and his word. And there are brilliant men in this denomination that God has given revelation, given them knowledge and understanding, but you won't let them speak it because you are afraid it'll put a cog in the wheel and the fluidity of the denomination gets tripped up. And we don't want that. So what they end up becoming are religious fanatics and don't want anybody bringing revelation, knowledge, or insight into the church, the body. But I thought that's what we wanted. I thought we wanted more knowledge of God. I thought we desired greater intimacy, greater depth, and greater breadth in knowing the God of our salvation. That seems to be lost today because it, that, that, that's not extracting money from the listener. It is sad, it is tragic, but we must get back to the Word. There are going to continue to be false prophets, false prophecies. Things are going to be said, things are going to be done that are an absolute error to the Word of God. And as the darkness falls on the earth, those who are in the light, are going to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And what will happen? You will become more distinguished because you're being set apart. You're set apart. A dear brother texted me yesterday, or last week, I believe it was, or two weeks ago, whenever. Um, and something was said, and I said, I, I never fit in with the institution. You, do you think John the Baptist fit in with the institution? Do you think the Apostle Paul fit in with the institution? Do you think the Apostle Peter fit in? Do you think Christ fit in? True men of God never fit in the institution because they're different. They're not different because they choose to be that way. They are different because that's God's touch on their lives. Doesn't make them any better, doesn't make them special, doesn't make them anything. When you read the scriptures and you see like the psalmist David or you see Joseph, you see the hand of God on their lives, then you also witness the envy, the jealousy, the clamor, the evil, and the backbiting. How Elip attacked David when he came down to find out what was going on with Goliath. You stinking, proud, snot-nosed punk kid. What are you doing down here? Get back to the father's house, Jesse, and you tend to those sheep. You hear? David's reply was, is there not a cause? Now, again, no man has anything to do with his calling. Here, David is a ruddy little lad. He has nothing to do with his calling. Yet God sends Samuel to the house of Jesse with a cruise of oil to anoint David king. Now, some believe it was 20 to 30 years before David ever actually became king. 
but he was God's chosen. He was God's elect. And look at all the garbage David went through, all because he just happened to be called of God. Joseph is a beautiful example. His brothers despised, loathed him. The Bible said there in Genesis chapter 37, they could not even speak peaceably to him. What did he do to merit that confrontation? What did he do? Nothing. He just happened to be called of God. And because of that, here comes the envy. Here comes the jealousy. Here comes the clamor, the backbiting, and all the evil. You see, I know a lot about what I'm talking about because I've went through it. I've been attacked for many, many reasons. But as I've always said, it's never about sin. It's never about adultery or getting drunk or stealing money. Never about that. It's the religious aspect that attacks the righteous. See, religion hates righteous truth. Let me say that again. Religion hates and fights righteous spiritual truth. Why? Because that is always in opposition to religion. Religion is man's way. This is, this is how you have to do it to be saved. This is the way you must go. This is the path you must trod. See, that's religion. Your do's and your don'ts. Your wills and your wants. But that's not God. As I said this morning, wonderful time in the presence of the Lord. And I was thanking God. He is the biggest part of my life. And I pray today he's the biggest part of your life, that you are enamored with him. You want to love him and hug him and be in his presence and, and draw from the wells of salvation, meaning drawing from Christ himself. I love John 7, 38. He that believeth in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. What a life effervescent flood of water that comes into the child of God when they're washed in the blood of the lamb. My, my, my. Oh, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. His, his, his riches are are unsearchable. You cannot exhaust God, Elohim. It is impossible. It is impossible to exhaust God. And no matter how much God you have, no matter how much God I have, there's still plenty for everyone else to receive from that fountain of life through Jesus, the Lord's Christ. Before we get back into the Word today, I want to play a beautiful song by the Wilburns entitled, When I Speak Your Name. There's something about the name of Jesus, the Lord's Christ. Your name, I love the unknown. 
Without a doubt, there is something about that name, Jesus. Matthew one twenty one says, And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. Peter said in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In the Greek, that's a double negative, neither and none. 
Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any name. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So it's a double negative, neither and none. Those two words are negative, neither and none. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What do those double negatives mean? There's no name and there's no method, no deed, no work, anything that you can do to be saved except through Jesus. Nothing. That's why Peter was unctioned by the Holy Ghost to say that verse with double negatives, neither and none, neither any other, none other name, meaning there's no name, no deed, no action, no way, no possibility to be saved except through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. My, I sense his holy presence today. I love him. I love him so much. I want to get back. We may conclude today on this series entitled Preparing for the Darkness. But I want to encourage everyone today listening to seek to walk in the light. I want, I want to encourage you to seek to be desirous to walk in the light of Christ. 1 John 1, verses 6 and 7 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. I want you to grasp what John is telling us here. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, he said, we lie. We're liars. Revelation 21.8, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Now, I know today lying is so acceptable. People lie as never before. Even so-called Christian people lie terribly. These ministers are lying when they're selling water. Man, have they cheapened the grace of God and the blood of the Lamb. That's frightening. That's horrifying. Yet they have become desensitized to the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. They're looking for gimmickry and trickery, uh, chicanery to manipulate people. The, 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 the message is about Jesus Christ and Him crucified and giving his life for our life that we might have life and have it more abundantly. But the greatest aspect of the new birth is the forgiveness of sin. 
sins being forgiven and sins being blotted out and held against us no more. The account is settled. The account is settled. And sin's debt has been paid by the blood of the Lamb. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If you're in the truth and you seek the truth, you will always walk in the light. If you don't regard the truth, esteem the truth, embrace the truth, you will drift and waft off into darkness. And I find it profound, the conjunction, but. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Who are we fellowshipping with when we're in the light? Jesus. Jesus is light. There is no darkness in him. John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. This is Christ. The light is Christ. As I shared, I believe, last Tuesday, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Light. Light is amazing. When you can't see something, you will say, I need to get in the light or bring me a light or turn on the light or shine the light over here. Why? Because that allows you to see. David said in Psalms 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. No one can see correctly unless God's word illuminates their path. No one. Why are men then in darkness? They disregard the word of God. You have to have the word of God that you might see in the darkness. This is a dark world. The light shineth into the darkness. That means Christ must be in you and emanate from within you outward and show the world, I'm a blood-bought, born-again child of God. I'm led by the Holy Spirit. I bear fruit of his Spirit. You know, as a, as a minister, I, I deal with a lot of carnal people. They write their emails, their hateful emails, their hateful letters. And, and, and I see these people are so carnal because they don't walk in the light. Now, they would tell you they do. But the manifestation of their fruit and the manifestation of their spirit tells me exact opposite. They're not walking in the light. They want to believe they're in the light. They're what John said here in John, 1 John 1, 6. They say they have fellowship with him, but they walk in darkness. So what are they? They're liars. Liars have existed since Lucifer. 
And because people never get over the hump, they never get over the spiritual hurdle, they live a life of carnality. Their verbiage is carnal, their thoughts are carnal, their ways are carnal, but they say, but I'm a Christian. Sweet and bitter water cannot come out of the same well. I I loathe those who tell me they are baptized in the Holy Ghost, yet I know they curse profusely. I'm going to be like James. Brethren, these things ought not be. I've told you a thousand times. I know all the words. I never forgot any of the curse words. I just never bothered to use them because it grieves the Holy Ghost that lives inside of me. And how people think they can live like that filthy mouth. Yes, I'm going to say it. It is a filthy, rotten, despicable talk and speak and language. When you curse like that, then you think you can get down and pray and commune with God and have fellowship with him? John said, you lie. You lie. There are people you wouldn't believe the filth. It comes out of their mouths. See, that's the carnality. That's not the spirit of Christ. That's not the fruit of his spirit. That is the darkness that lives in their lives, and the darkness is speaking because it is dark. It is dark. So John puts this conjunction, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Whose light are you walking in, yours or his? It's always his light. It's his light. To get into that light, you must be redeemed by the blood. That cleanses you, that allows you, that suffers you to be able now to get into the light and to walk in the light. Without the cleansing of the blood of the lamb, you cannot get into the light. You cannot get into the light except you first be plunged in the blood of Jesus Christ and your sins, your iniquities be removed and cast away from you. That's the only way you can get into the light of Jesus Christ. Any other way is evil. Any other way is is not of God. Any other method is not right. Well, I know people say, well, you, you, you do this, you do that, you're saved. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. That's religion. I said, that's religion. Religion will tell you all sorts of stuff. I remember years ago studying Isaiah 1, 18. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord of hosts. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Notice the invitation. Come, let us reason together. I remember studying that. My naivety, my immaturity. You mean God's going to sit down and reason with me and I'm going to reason with him? Well, yes and no. You see, I'm not going to reason anything out of God. However, God believes if he can get me into his presence, his reasoning, his plan, his purpose, his will 
becomes my heart's desire. Remember Psalms 37, 4, 5, delight thyself also in the Lord. He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You see, when I understood that passage, means when I get into God's presence, my desires, the desires of my heart, they become his will because his will is already established. Thus thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have to come into alignment with God's will. When he said, come, let us reason together, he's trying to get you into his presence that his holy power, his holy spirit, his holy divine word might begin to mold and fashion you into the image and the likeness of him. So when he says, come, let us reason together, you're not going to reason, outmaneuver, think, manipulate, twist God because he says, look at you, look at you. Look at your sins. They're as scarlet. They're like red crimson, but they shall be as wool, white. He he said, if I can get you into my presence, if I get you into my light, it will suddenly begin to transform. It's amazing. Put a seed in some soil and put it in the attic. Nothing will happen. Put it in the sunlight, the process, the photosynthesis of life begins to take place because of the light. Some of you are moldy. (laughs) Some of you are moldy. There's black mist in your life. There's soot in your life. You've got to get into the presence of God. And when we are brought into that light, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit begins to do the work that's needed in us. You know the little song the little children sing, he's still working on me. He's still working on me. He should be working on every one of us. He will perfect that which concerneth me. Do you want God perfecting himself in you? If you want God perfecting himself in you, you must get in the light. God sees the imperfections. They're very heinous, some of them. They're sins, and they're as red as scarlet. He said, but I'll make them white as snow. He said, they're like crimson, deep, deep, dark red. But I'll make them as wool, white. But that can only happen, he said, when I allow you, you come into the light. David said, he he will perfect that which concerns me. Now, we're not talking about human perfection. We're talking about spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. I've used this analogy many, many, many times. Acts 20, 22 through 24. Behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, 
not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bond and afflictions abide me, but none of these things move me. In other words, Satan is always trying to move us out and from the light. Paul said, none of these things move me, neither do I count my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the grace of the gospel of God. He said, so that I might finish my course, telling us I'm not done yet. I have not finished yet. I have not reached the goal. I have not reached the finish line in my life and God's will concerning my life. I'm not there yet, Paul said, that I might finish. That's the phrase, that I might finish. Now, what suffered Paul to be able to finish? The Holy Ghost. Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost. Listen, the Holy Ghost was telling Paul, everywhere you go, everything you do, bonds and afflictions are abiding, or in other words, they are waiting upon you when you get there. Now, some of you that would just frighten you and terrorize you to the degree you would say things like, well, I'm not going. Why? Well, there's nothing but bonds and afflictions awaiting me when I get there, so I won't bother to go because I don't want to suffer that. The early church rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for him. Those of you who think you're beating me up, you're beating me down, you're harming, you're hurting me, you're injuring me, you're only blessing me. You don't see that because of your carnality and your hatredness for truth. But when you castigate me, all you're doing is blessing me. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil falsely against you for my name's sake. Matthew 5, 11. You're blessed. Now, that's, you, 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 you may not appreciate this, but that too is carnality when it bothers you when people are attacking you. Your, your carnality rises up and says, oh, I don't like that. Nobody likes it in the natural. But when you're in the spirit, when you're spiritual, when you understand what's actually taking place, you say, oh, this is nothing but a blessing. I count this all joy. This is absolute joy to suffer for his name's sake. As I said, you know, people don't castigate me because I got drunk. I cursed, uh, robbed a bank, committed adultery. What it, no, no, no. They don't like the purity of the Bible. They don't like the straightforwardness and the narrowness of the way. But if I let that bother me, I'm just about as carnal as they are. Paul said, none of these things move me, neither do I count my life dear unto myself. In other words, I don't value my life so important and so significant that I'm not willing to die for my Lord. Are you willing to die? Are you willing to be nailed to a cross, literally, 
Are you willing to suffer to that degree for Christ's sake? You see, that's when the rubber meets the road and people have to make a decision. Am I hanging in or am I turning loose? Am I quitting? What am I going to do? The early church rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. So Paul there in Acts 20, 22 through 20, Acts 20, verses 22 through 24, that I might finish my course with joy, that I might finish. Now remember, he does finish. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Notice, I have finished my course. Acts 20, he says, that I might finish the course. None of us right now can say we're finished. I am by no means a finished product and neither are you. You have to get to the goal. You have to reach the end. Matthew 24, 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. The same shall be saved. You have to reach the end. Are we there yet? No. And with all of the flippant, frivolous voices in the earth, people are becoming confused. Some don't know where to go. Some don't know where to turn. Some just don't know what to do. Always look to Jesus. Just, just look to Christ. We've all made mistakes. We all have erred. We all have sinned. I don't believe in sinless perfection in our human body. That's not a license for you to sin. That's not giving you liberty to sin. All sin grieves the Holy Ghost. All, it doesn't matter what it is. The wrong attitude, the wrong thought, the wrong feeling, the wrong emotion, the wrong words, the wrong verbiage, the way you handle something, Sin contaminates all of us, and regrettably, that sinful Adamic nature resides in us, and it will reside there until we die. I want to be like Jacob, Israel, leaning, worshiping on his staff, and then he laid down in the bed, gathered his feet up in the bed, and he died. I mean, you, you're talking about somebody that, as far as I'm concerned, one of the most beautiful and gracious deaths that a human being could die was Jacob. I mean, his latter years were, were such a rich, unfathomable blessing. When he and Joseph are come together and they are reconciled. Jacob says to Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face. And lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. 
I never thought I'd see your face again, Joseph. I thought you were dead. I thought you were gone. I thought you would ever, never be again in my life. He said, and lo, <clears throat> excuse me, the goodness of God, the goodness of God, the goodness of God has allowed me to not only see you, Joseph, but I'm also witnessing your, your seed. Your, your seed that came out of your loins. You're my seed out of my loins. And now <clears throat> I'm witnessing the seed that has come out of your loins. Oh, my, my, my. If we only understood the greatness of God. The Bible said when Jacob made an end of commanding or prophesying to all of the sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed, yielded up the ghost, was gathered unto his people. Think of that. Got in the bed. Gathered up his feet. Got his whole body, all of his extremities into the bed. And yielded up the ghost. A lot like Christ. It is finished. It is finished. Jacob's life was finished. God's plan, God's purpose for his life was fulfilled and complete. God is not through with many of you listening. Some of you want to believe, you want to think you have arrived, but you're not there yet. But never get discouraged in the journey. Never get discouraged in the pilgrimage. Because God has the ability to put the pause button on and sit and wait patiently until everything comes into order as it must. And then he hits the pause button and you don't start over again. You just pick up where you left off. While Jacob is over here, Joseph is over there. And God is sovereignly, divinely working both ends from the middle. And in the end, God reconciles all of it. In the end, your life will be reconciled. The account will be settled. It will be cleansed. The sin will be removed, eradicated. And that allows the believer to hear the words of Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm certain Jacob slash Israel heard those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's no doubt in my mind the Apostle Paul heard those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Matthew 25 and 23. I love that verse because he didn't say, well, you've been faithful over everything. Thou hast been faithful, he said, over a few things. 
See, God is not as demanding as some people want to believe. And it's never demanding when you're in love with him. It's only demanding when that's not what you want. It's only demanding when that's not your will. It's only demanding when you're not where you ought to be. When you're where you should be in Jesus, it's easy. It's like I've, I've never labored to house, to clothe, to feed my children. I never grumbled about buying the soap, the toothpaste, the toiletries, the food, the housing. I never grumbled about that. Why? Love. Love. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you sometimes I grumbled about having to deal with people. As a pastor for 27 years, I'm like, sometimes, God, why do you have me here? But as the song says, he's still working on me. I pray today he continues to work on your life until he gets you where he wants you to be here in the time of the end. Thank you today for your continued love, your continued prayers, and your continued support. Thank you so much. I'm humbled by the goodness of the people of God. I'm humbled by the grace of God that abounds in the people of God. I'm thankful for God's love that has found an abiding place in your heart. Thus, you love us, you pray for us, you support us. Thank you for watching over the website at times when people post stupid lying stuff on me. Lately, it was Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. I don't mess with that stuff. You know I don't mess with that stuff. Thank you for watching over the voice of evangelism and protecting us. You know I don't get involved in that kind of internet stuff, but people are charlatans. And thank you for those of you who catch those things and send us an email and warn us. Somebody's messing with you, Pastor. I appreciate that, and I appreciate what you do. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a great evening in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020.